I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast part of the ever-growing The Athletic Hockey Show Network. Pierre Lebrun. Pierre, I'm so, I, you know what, I, I'm always excited when I get to chat with you because, of course, we don't see each other anymore uh, because of the pandemic. But I feel like it's almost like we've been together after we take the podcast and really excited today. Vincent Danfus is going to join us. Uh, of course, longtime uh, NHLer, Stanley Cup champion, uh, great, great player, and a longtime analyst in Montreal. And, oh, my goodness, is there a bigger story in the country, but certainly in Quebec than the Montreal Canadiens right now. I, I, I So <laughs> I saw a picture and I wonder, can you see it from your house? Can you see the CN Tower? Red, <laughs> white, and blue in honor of the Montreal Canadiens. I would never have guessed. Tell me, t- how are you doing, my friend? And D- can you see the CN Tower with its uh, bleu, blanc, et rouge from your house? Oh my God, poor Leaf fans. I mean, they're just trying to finally get over over what's happening, and then they wake up last night, or they they look out their window last night, and and the CN Tower in their backyard has the Habs colors. That's like someone put a dagger right through their heart. Oh my, who's? I mean, I, listen, I know it's a it's a national 
it's a national building and it's a pride of all Canadians. So I get it from that perspective, but I don't know PR wise if that was the best move ever. Like in other words, had they never have done it, it's not like anyone in Montreal would have complained. <laughs> so right. <laughs> that is a weird thing to have done. I must say. So I'm just curious because I mean, the idea, this comes up, well, it comes up periodically, but not as often as I'm sure Canadians would like to have this discussion because, you know, Canadian teams don't often get, you know, historically since the Habs won in 93 and I can't wait to ask Vincent Danfus about that experience and, and maybe shades of what we're seeing now. But, you know, it, it, it's been a long drought, obviously, for a Stanley Cup winner in Canada, but even teams going to the final. But every time a team goes deep in the in the playoffs, there is this discussion, I think. Oh, is, is this Canada's team? You know, Winnipeg goes to a conference final uh, in 2018. They lose to Vegas. Oh, you know, was Winnipeg Canada's team? Of course, the Canucks going to the final in 2011. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't, like, do you buy into that narrative? Is there such a thing as Canada's team? I mean, I got to admit, if, if the Leafs had gone to a final this year, I'm pretty sure there are some people who would have been cheering for whoever they played against not the least no question it would have been would have been like vancouver in 2011 yeah. where i think half the country wanted the canucks to win and the other half were cheering for boston <laughs> um and and yeah there's no such thing as candidates to even and you know i i would have to say that winnipeg would come closest to picking up a lot of second fans uh, i think there's just i think part of it is what's endearing is they lost their team and they got it back and um i i just think Generally speaking, their fans seem to be the most likable and, and so on. So, um, but other than that, I mean, you know, when the Oilers were in the cup final in 06, obviously no one in Calgary is cheering for them. Calgary in 04, no one in Edmonton is cheering for them. <laughs> <laughs> and and so it goes. And, and definitely if, if the Habs get to the finals, um, you know, while I think a lot of people in our country – you know, we'll, we'll have a spot in their hearts for what, what they're accomplishing. There'll still be way too many Leaf fans and frankly fans in other Canadian markets who, you know, they, you want it to be your team that ends Canada's streak, not another one, basically, I think is what it comes down to. Uh, and generally speaking, I think the Leafs and the Habs, because of their gigantic fan bases. I mean, in Western Canada, when the Habs or the Leafs go out and play there, you know, there's a ton of Habs jerseys and Leafs jerseys in their building. So... There's no way people in Vancouver, Hamilton, and Calgary are jumping on a on a house bandwagon right now. <laughs> I love that. I still love that the fact. Now, is that? Are do you know the plans? Like, are, are they going to run the um, it, the the red, white, and blue for the Habs right until they're I have done? No idea. Oh my god! I don't know. Every day, that's what I want to see. <laughs> uh, all right, I, I um, you mentioned the Winnipeg Jets, so let's let's start there. Um, it just feels to me that in this playoff year, that. The, the, some of the teams that have lost, the losses appear to me to to have been felt more deeply. You know, I think of Edmonton, of course, being swept by Winnipeg, and there mm, goes great right? point. And we see the Leafs losing in Game Seven to Montreal after leading that series three one. I, I definitely want to talk about Carolina uh, being dumped. Oh my gosh, is Tampa good? Holy cow! I just I don't know what I. I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but of course, Carolina losing in five. But let's let's start with Winnipeg. Um, what what an off season for them! Again, they sweep a powerful Edmonton team, and then you know, have, I I don't know about you, but felt to me like a heavy favorite against Montreal in the second round. You know, the Habs coming off a seven game series, literally no rest, and mm -hmm. and it's over in in four games. Of course. 
the, the Mark Shifley suspension looming large in that equation, I think. But when you step back and look at this Jets team, it, it, there's a, I think there has to be a lot of soul searching for a team that I think a lot of us believe were right on the cusp when they went to a West final in 2018. And, and really, it's been you know lots of factors involved, but still a lot of disappointment since. Yeah, I don't think they were heavy favorites though against Montreal. I, I, I think going into that second round, you had the third place team and the fourth place team hooking up after upsets. I had it as a coin toss myself. I certainly didn't have it as a sweep either way. So that's the that's the surprising part for me for sure. And it wasn't even close. Like some yeah. sweeps, for example, the Jets sweep over Edmonton was actually quite close. I mean, every game was close, and and that could have that series could have played out a little differently potentially. Bounce here, bounce there. But this sweep was, I mean, once the Habs took game one and Shifley got suspended, Montreal just crushed their soul. I mean, the, the, the Jets didn't, they didn't threaten throughout the rest of that series. And, you know, as much as I think you have to give Carey Price the number one star for leading the comeback against the Leafs, this was not a Carey Price series. He, he, again, he was excellent. He did what he had to do. But this was Montreal's top four on defense, muscling the Jets forwards away from the net. It was unbelievable. It was a clinic for checking. Um, and, and it was mesmerizing to, to watch, quite frankly. Um, and you're right. I, I think that it leaves the Jets in a position now where they got to sort of ask themselves, where do we go from here? They got so many good players and such a good core. A lot of them are signed. Um, but, you know, um, there's a lot of things to look at here. Paul Maurice has another year on his deal as head coach, and then he has an option year after that. So, so let's see where that goes. I suspect he'll be back. Um, but I can't say that 100%. Um, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois has to show up, right? Uh, I mean, that, that that was disappointing. And listen, it's not like the guy he got traded for to Columbus lit it up either. So it's a really weird thing between Liney and Dubois, that blockbuster in January, how, how neither player was able to find his footing in their new surroundings. And is that pandemic-related? And who knows? It's a weird year. So I think a fresh reset for Pierre-Luc Dubois will be huge because they need him to be – a guy, yes. I mean, yeah. they, you know, and so, you know, he had the chance in that Montreal series after Shifley was suspended to step up and he didn't. So that's a big storyline for sure. Uh, but I think, you know, he's still very young. I, I think he will be a heck of a player for Winnipeg in my mind. But, you know, I, it's not a great blue line. I mean, they've been a pleasant story for how they've been able to have really huge years you know, from from guys like Derek Forward, Logan Stanley is a great story. But in general, um, and maybe the improvement comes from within. I mean, Billy Billy Hainola might get an opportunity next year. Either way, though, the Jets at the end of the day have just spent too much time in their own zone this year, and and that has to be an area that improves. Yeah, it, it, to me, the the Jets are. Uh, it was interesting when you were talking about their fan base, and and really, you're right. Like who? Like how can you not like? The Jets, right? Like, you're right. Like, there's just, you know, and you and I have been there for um, some of those playoff series, you know, covered that uh, Nashville-Winnipeg epic series in 2018 and to be in that city. Just amazing. Just a great just market. Great market. Um, but, but, and, 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 I think, and I think almost more than any other team, although certainly, you know, a lot of teams could claim this, but, you know, the Jets not having their sea of white and having their, their fans during this pandemic, I, I think was was it was a factor yeah. uh, i mean i mean one of the most intimidating rinks to play in come playoff time. yeah no question and and they are in some ways they're the model of patience and how how often have we 
talked about this with other teams, you know, the rush to, you know, the change in New York with the Rangers and the chain, you know, we've seen changes in different places, Florida, where, mm. you know, it seems like there's no runway for teams to put a plan in place and, and, and execute it. But the Jets are the opposite, right? Kevin Chevel, they have been the GM since the team moved from Atlanta. Paul Maurice, I think this is seven years for him, but um, a long stretch of time. And, you know, it'll be fascinating to see, you know, because at some point you got to change, right? Like at some point, you know, you've got to produce and sometimes change is required. And I don't know if this is the time, but uh, it's got to be disappointing. And just before we leave the the Jets, do you think this will, I'm curious to see what happens with Mark Shifley next year. And and I got to tell you, uh, you know, we I've spent a lot of time, I, I'm often unduly outraged by the Department of Player Safety. I, I feel like I'm angry all the time when it comes to some of the, the decisions made there. But boy, that was that was swift punishment for a, a moment where a player lost control. And, and I don't know if you can quantify how important his loss to the Jets team, you know, for the next three games was. But do you think that changes how he approaches the game? I mean, he's a, an elite player and he's so important to that team. But do you think I mean, this, could this change how, you know, he approaches the game? Or do you imagine this will, he will move on quickly from this starting next season, obviously? Yeah, I, I don't know how it could change the way he approaches the game. The guy had 12 penalties, I think, <laughs> yeah, this year. Right? Exactly. So yeah. he's not, this was a complete out-of-character moment yeah. uh, for Mark Shifley. I wrote about this last week, and, and one of the things that jumped to mind for me was being in the rink in Tampa when Nikita Kucherov came on yes, good point in Game 2 against Columbus a couple of years ago. And and ultimately led to a boarding, a very serious boarding penalty that could have resulted in a, in a worse injury than it did, and, and led to a one-game suspension at a time where the, the of course, the Lightning needed him most as they went down in a sweep to Columbus. Um, one, the way Kucherov has rebounded from that moment has been spectacular. Yeah. He's been nothing but a leader and, and a superstar, and has turned the page. And there's never been even a hint of evidence that he was going to do that again. And good on him. And that's what I think we'll see from, from Mark Shifley. But I draw a line there because in the same way in which Kucherov let Tampa down in that moment, Mark Shifley let his team yeah. down. Uh, there's no other way around it. Like, I thought Mark Shifley handled himself great in that news conference. Very detailed, very emotional. I believe every word he said. But it doesn't change the act. Yep. And, um, you know, I think he will absolutely – this is not a, a, a career-defining moment. I, I think that we, you know – Mark Shifley is nothing but um, amazing things ahead of him, and uh, I don't think this is going to harm. Yeah, no, I agree. Interesting. Um, I'd love. To, I want to talk. So I'll give you the choice. I, I'm, you know, that Colorado Vegas series has been off the charts. Oh my! Like it, it, there's just been so much going on there, and even in Game Five in Colorado, Mark Andre Fleury giving up a goal to Brandon Sod with what 1.8 seconds left, and you wondered if that might be a you know, a, a killer blow. And of course, uh, Vegas coming back with uh, two quick goals in the third and then winning in overtime. Or Tampa, we talked about them. You mentioned Kucherov and really making short work of a Carolina team that, that I had picked to win the Stanley Cup. So shame on me. But uh, which do you want to start with? And well, the, well, well, Mike Cup picks on the ropes now too in Colorado. Yes, so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I got, although I always knew that. That that Vegas Colorado series from the get go, I thought would be seven. And to be honest, one of the reasons I picked Colorado win the cup is I was waiting to see who would win, who would win home ice in that division <laughs> yeah. between those two teams. And 
because I figure that would be the only thing that could separate them is where is Game 7 going to be played, which, by the way, could still be true. Sure. But now uh, the Avalanche absolutely on the ropes and have to steal a game in Vegas. Yikes. Yeah. In the Lions' den, um, tremendous series. Uh, really hats off to Vegas for the way in which they rebounded from that opening loss. And honestly, I think have dominated the play for most of the series. Agreed. Yeah, no. Even though it's only 3-2, yeah. Um, so this is quite something. And, um, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury was terrific when he had to be last night. I mean, unbelievable. An early save in overtime. Yes. That, yes. People. You know. Um, so, yeah, here we go. And, uh, of course, Montreal cheering for a game seven, no doubt. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, although I say that, you know, it's funny. One of the things that going back to the Jets that has come up, but not as an excuse, but as a fact, is that that nine day layoff didn't seem to have done them any, much good. Yeah. So I wonder what the what's the perfect thing. I mean, you want more than 48 hours, that's for sure. But. But maybe you don't want nine days. So, I don't know. Maybe the Hazel on Vegas to finish it off on Thursday night. It, it, it's know? always unwise to project. But it, this will be this will be a very difficult series loss for Colorado if they – if they obviously, if they can't force a Game 7. And even if they do, if they lose in Game 7. Because this is a series, especially after Game 1 and then, you know, winning again at home to take a 2 nothing series lead. Uh, Jared Bednar calling out his uh, his star players uh, early in the series once it moved to Vegas. This will be a very difficult series loss to get over if, in fact, the Avs can't come back. Do you, do you agree? Yeah, this one will sting. I think – in a similar fashion that the way it's it stinks for Carolina, I think Sebastian Ajo, you could you could see it yeah. see him wear it last night after the game that Carolina, you know, deservedly through the regular season thought they were right there with the best of the best and had cup aspirations. And you know, listen, at the end of the day, I picked the Carolina Colorado Cup final in part because you know you try to. You know, did I think that Tampa couldn't repeat? No, of course I think Tampa could repeat, but you're trying to mix it up. And I always thought at the end of the day, Tampa, Carolina would be a seven-game series. I felt the same way about that crossroads right. as I did about Vegas, Colorado, right? Those are the two big series in my mind in the NHL this year that we have seen coming for a long time. So the surprise for me is not that Tampa won because, of course, deep down, you know that Tampa was, was favored. It was that it was so short. I mean, that, that really surprised me that the Hurricanes didn't put up more of a fight. And so I think there's a little soul searching there for the Hurricanes about what they need to do to take the next step. Um, and, and no doubt about that. But, you know, I think the Avalanche, it'll hurt even more. You know, I've written a couple of columns this year talking to Joe Sackick. I wrote one yes. at the start of the year. I wrote another one uh, a couple of weeks before the playoffs. They have been very bold and outspoken about their desire to win a cup, their belief that they could be that team. They have not, you know, strayed away from those expectations, and and I love it. I love everything about it because I think it's the kind of team that plays a style that you have to have some some brashness to it. So this would really, if they lose in Game Six in Vegas, this would be a complete body blow to that organization. Uh, again, even though everyone knew that was going to be a tough second round either way, nothing short of the Cup Final was going to was going to appease the abs of this year. And, and because it gets harder now, cap-wise, for this team moving forward. You know, I yeah. mean, Kel McCarr's entry-level deal expires. He needs a big second contract. Get, uh, Captain Gabriel Landeskog is a UFA. Um, Philip Grubauer is a UFA. <laughs> uh, and a year from now, on July 1st, 
2022, the Avalanche are allowed per the CBA to extend Nathan McKinnon one year out before the extension of his deal, which I assume they will move heaven on earth to do just that. So the team will not be as deep moving forward is my point, which is not to say that I don't think they're going to be a contender for a long time. I think they've built a Tampa-like setup here where they're going to take swings at it every year. But it, they may never be as deep as this, in my point. Yeah. Yeah, to me, it's funny how both uh, I put both Colorado and Carolina um, in the same kind of boat because we've, you know, they sort of been the darlings. And last year, of course, they just they lost the war of attrition in the bubble, right? Just completely, mm-hmm. you know, it did, ran out of players, ran out of goalies, ran out of <laughs> defensemen. Like it was, right. it was hard for them. But but the expectations continue to build for those kinds of teams and you're right and now you know like it it will be interesting and i i'm with you i think you and i are of the same mind that that the change for the sake of change or the knee jerk oh you know fire the coach or let's do this or you know what you know the the knee jerk reaction that will undoubtedly you know, come or calls for knee-jerk reaction if the Avs do lose this, just as there might be calls in Carolina for you know how do you know how do you get over the hump? But but both those teams now, like the for me, the honeymoon is over. It's, it's now you you're in a position you've been built, you're well coached, but now you have to deliver. And if you don't deliver, then you have to answer the hard questions. And I and sometimes I think teams struggle with that transition, right? It's easy to play when you don't right. have pressure. Saw that with Carolina. They go to an East Con- Eastern Conference final in uh, in 2019. Um, but now that the, the expectations are different, and and sometimes teams struggle to accept that and to make that transition. Do you do you think that's fair? Right. Yeah, and, and this was really the first year that the Hurricanes played with heavy expectations, ex- expectations that they internally embraced, by the way. But but I do think there is a, an adjustment there. And, you know, they're going to have to sit with an offseason in which they contemplate the fact that they lost every game on home ice against Tampa. Yeah. They had home ice advantage going into this series with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And, and it mattered nothing despite playing in front of the great crowds in the NHL. So... Uh, and again, hats off to the Lightning. And the scary thing about Tampa is they look even better to me right now than they did when they won the Cup in the bubble. Could not agree more. I, I'm yes. honest. Yeah, no. Like they totally. look even more like a juggernaut. And of course, they, they didn't have access to Steven Stamkos other than three shifts last year in that playoff run. Um, but I think there's a confidence too from winning the Cup. Uh, I think David Savara has fit in well. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky, best goalie in the world. Yeah. And I say that with all due respect to some amazing performances from Mark Andre Fleury and Carey Price and Philip Grubauer, but uh, and Semyon Varlamov, by the way, let's put him in that conversation. But Andre Vasilevsky is the best goalie in the world, and there are moments in that Carolina series where I just think he he just said, "No, you guys aren't aren't coming back." It was pretty unbelievable to watch him. Well, I mean, the critical moment the the light uh, the uh, Hurricanes. Fairly early in the first period, uh, glorious two-on-one shorthanded, and Vasilevsky makes an eye-popping save, and they go down the ice, and 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 the the Lightning score. I think it was Braden Point, who I'm now just looking up here, but uh, it, I'm wondering. Listen, I think everyone knew Braden Point was a terrific player and really sort of on the cusp. But boy, like to me, he shoulders his way into. All right, who who are the best players in the NHL? And that's, and I don't think that's hyperbole on my part. I, like to me, Braden Point is right there now. It's just twenty five, but what 
what a player. Like I, I it's it, it, it and I'm with you, Pierre. I do think this team right now in Tampa is better than the team that beat Dallas in the final a year ago. Yeah, no question. And um, you know, for for the Hurricanes moving forward, and you got to be careful here. You know, you just lost to the best goalie in the world. So how do you factor that into what you do next as an organization? And what I'm getting to is their own goaltending. Um, Alex Nedeljkovic had an amazing rookie NHL season yes. in the NHL. Yep. Like, what else could you ask for from this kid? He's 25. Not a kid, but he's, it's his first full season in the NHL. Um, he's RFA. They're gonna. He's 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 gonna earn a raise, of course, in his second contract. And and what will be interesting to me is how they decide to fill out the rest of the net with him, right? Um, Peter Morazic's UFA, James Reimer's UFA. Uh, you know. I don't know if it's good enough to just say, let's bring the band back together in net. That's the area where I wonder, is there something where they create another 1A, 1B with uh, Nedeljkovic, but with a different face? I don't know. That'll be interesting. I mean, or do they just say that, you know, a healthy Morazic with with Nedeljkovic is, is good enough. Let's bring it back. Yeah, it, so that's going to be interesting. Yeah, it's hard. And, you know, to me, this, you know, it, you look at all these series and to me, though, it's, it's what the great, it's the great drama, right? It's the, the moment where everything changes and, you know, you go back to game two, no, game three, you know, the Oilers blow the big lead late and lose in overtime. And, you know, we, we, that changes there. T- Carolina has a chance to even this series with two wins in Tampa, and they score four against Vasilevsky on Saturday. But they don't get a and save. They don't get a save right. from from Peter Morasic. And now, now, the, now the real story of that game was all yeah, kind of leap, yeah. Carolina yeah. got in. But uh, to an your incredible but, Tampa power yeah, play. But to your point, you though, know? your goal at that you know in that moment where the best goalie in the world has given up four and you have a four two lead. You have to close the door, and you couldn't do it. And so I think you're right. I, I think it's going to be fascinating. Um, and I, 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 before we leave Carolina, really interesting, I think, what happens with Dougie Hamilton, UFA. And it's I'm doing this piece that uh, I think they'll post in the later today or tomorrow. The, nice. the UFA stock up and down. What happens in the playoffs to players – both good and mm-hmm. bad, you know, and I think of, you know, Montreal's got a hundred, <laughs> they got a hundred UFAs and, and every one of them, their stock is through the roof, right? Yoel Armia. Well, Philip Deneau is, of course, going to be so fascinating yeah. because, of course, he, he, we believe, turned down a, an offer last fall that was pretty, I think was pretty reasonable. But again, uh, I love when players believe in themselves, yeah. right? So, and, and he's done nothing but add to the fact that even though there's little offense there, he is one of the premier shutdown centers in the NHL, right? Yeah. I mean, it really is. So to have done that to Austin Matthews and then to, uh, you know, to all the Jets' top stars is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Well, Corey Perry, Eric Stahl, well, Eric Stahl, Corey Perry, and Yoel Armia have been, you know, were a wrecking crew, and uh, all three right. are UFA. So all UFA. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess my point is, you know, Dougie Hamilton. Uh, a, a stud on the back end. His numbers, you know, speak for themselves. Power play, skating, his shot. Uh, but I talked to three different sources, familiar who watch very closely uh, the Eastern Conference and, and this team, and uh, there is some skepticism about whether you can win if he's your centerpiece defender and and you know whatever the market is mm. you know is it eight times eight i mean that's john carlson's number from a couple of years ago when he signed his deal as a pending ufa uh you know is dougie hamilton in that ballpark and if he is if you're carolina 
is that is that where you want to put your is that where you want to make your commitment? And there are some skeptics about it. There are. I just think he's not getting eight times eight in uh, in Carolina. I absolutely think it's it's potentially out there on the open market, given his very consistent offensive numbers for several years. But I just don't think it's there in Carolina. Like if he wants to stay in Carolina, it, it's going to have to be a different number, is my sense yeah. of it. And that you know often applies to a lot of players whose deals are up in Carolina. Yeah. That's not just Dougie Hamilton, but. You know, to me, I, I'm, I've reported this before, Scotty, but, you know, those talks broke down early this season and, and both the Hurricanes and, and Doug Hamilton's camp led by J.P. Barry decided to shelve talks for after yep. the season. I'm pretty confident in saying that I think where each side essentially started ballpark-wise is that Doug Hamilton's camp started north of eight, pointing to Alex Petrangelo's deal and his numbers. Yep. And, and by the way, as they should. And, and I think the Hurricanes came back with something closer to Tory Krug's deal in St. Louis, which is six and a half a year over a long-term deal. And I can see their point. So that's a pretty sizable gap, right? That's not like pick the number in between. I, I think it, this thing could go all kinds of different ways. And what it really is going to come down to is that I think J.B. Berry will tell his client, I know I can get you $8 million a year on the market, but uh, you're happy here. And so what's that number where, where happiness for a guy like Dougie Hamilton that's been traded a couple of times, you know, Boston, Calgary, has found happiness. So so what's the dollar figure to happiness? Um, and that's always a tough decision, right? I am with you entirely. And it's going to be fascinating to, uh, to see how it goes. Buddy, we're going to talk to Vincent Danfus. We're going to take a break first. So don't go away. We'll be right back with the former Stanley Cup champion and longtime analyst, Vincent Danfust. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, everybody. As promised, joined by Vincent Damfus, uh, longtime NHL great and studio, studio analyst. Pierre, you guys, uh, you have to speak in English so I can stay uh, stay connected to both of you. But you guys, you guys are colleagues in many ways. Well, and and, and actually, I will say, premièrement, Vincent, merci de nous rejoindre sur notre podcast. Très fin ta part. Ça fait plaisir, pleasure to be here. <laughs> I will say that that I think where Vaisan and I got to know each other best, uh, and I don't know if, uh, if Vaisan agrees, was during the uh, 0405 oh, lockout. Right. And, and Vaisan was a integral part of a lot of the NHLPA fabric back in those days, and, and donated a lot of his time to help yes. the cause. And and uh, and that was a big moment in my career too as a journalist. And uh, it was it was an absolutely fascinating time in many ways. Uh, but I, I, that was an interesting time. I think we both learned a lot from from that moment in time during the NHL. Yeah, this is where we uh, built our trust, up Pierre. Uh, yes, you know because, <laughs> as you know, uh, it's it's important to have a relationship uh, for you guys with players and with GMs, and you you have that now with uh, pretty much everybody in the league. Uh, 
it's fascinating to see how you built your uh, your network over the years. And I'm using some of that once in a while now with my job to call you <laughs> and get some information. But uh, always I, there for you. Always there. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's how you built your relationship. I think uh, as a player uh, during that lockout, uh, you wanna you wanna send your message, but at the same time you got to be able to trust the, the person that you give the information to and i think uh, there's a reason why you are where you are now it's because you know you you cherish those relationship and you uh you protect the person that gives you the information which is key i think in, in your field so yeah. uh, that's Vincent, where we start to know each other well vincent I'm, yes <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really curious about i mean we're going to obviously talk about you know the current montreal canadians but i mean you had a terrific career 1378 regular season games you played in toronto and edmonton obviously in montreal before finishing in san jose but i was curious what it's like for you and you've been doing it a long time but that transition you know when you walk across the line to to especially in Quebec to to be a commentator and to offer your opinions and and you've been on both sides of it and i wonder what that transition was like for you understanding what it's like to be a star in in top markets uh, like you were well as a player i understood the job that the media had to do and i always had time for them because it was part of my responsibility i saw it when i was in toronto with uh, some of the key players at the time when i was there with a lot of media in in that market and then in montreal i saw patrick Waugh every day answering questions i saw Guy carboneau uh, so I knew I knew that it was my responsibility as well as a captain there and also just as a French Canadian player to at least give uh, give 15 minutes of my time every day to the media so they can get the story and uh, I didn't feel that they were against me I, I just thought that, that they had a job to do and so I I had no problem going to uh, the media and be an analyst and just uh, with my experience, just uh, explain to the to the fans what I saw, and uh, if it's good, then I'm going to be the first one to uh, to, to give uh, positive comments about a player. But if it's bad, I think it's my responsibility my responsibility now to explain it to the the viewers, and uh, without being you know without being a jerk. I think there's a way to say things that are that are fair on. Um, for the player and, and accurate uh, when you speak. If you're if you're just trying to protect somebody when they're playing bad, uh, there's some fans that know the game enough that they can see right through that, and, and right. you're going to lose credibility. And I, I would never do that. Well, and we uh, we spoke just a couple of weeks ago, Vincent, for a piece I did on the '93 playoffs, uh, but more to do with the fact that the Leafs and Habs were finally playing in the playoff series, and of course, you played for both the Leafs and the Habs, but. I don't know if at that time when we did that piece and I talked to Carboneau as well and uh, and Kirk Muller and, and Gilmore Clark and Felix Poitvin, it, it was so it was so fun to hear from all six of you about reliving 93, which became uh, which was a memorable year for the Leafs, even though they fell short. And of course, the year for the Habs as far as the last Stanley Cup any Canadian team has won. But I don't know if I knew then that uh, the house would be in the final four <laughs> a month <laughs> later, Vesa. And, uh, and and not that I didn't think, I mean, I, I said this on this podcast, as Scotty knows, I thought the house were not a great matchup for the Leafs. I said that many weeks leading into it, that 
I thought that was a danger one for Toronto. I didn't ultimately think the Leafs would lose, but I thought it was going to be seven. And it certainly was even more than that for Montreal. How would you put in the words where the Habs have come? Because we saw what happened in the regular season, the ups and downs and the coaching change and the crazy schedule and the honestly a bit of a gong show at times. And here they are in the Stanley Cup semifinals. Well, it just shows how uh, how anything can happen in the playoff. The Canadians were the last team to qualify. They're the worst team during the regular season uh, in the playoffs out of the 16 teams. And I had the same uh, I had the same as you as when I evaluate the series. I thought the Leafs would win, but they would have uh, they would lose games to Montreal. I thought it was Toronto in seven, but as it turned out, they were able to. Just like we did in 1993, there's a lot of similarities to what I lived when I won the Cup to what's going on this year. We were down in 1993 in the first round to Quebec, 0-2, and nobody mm-hmm. in the province thought we would win before it started. Then imagine after losing the first two games, there was nobody beside the players in the room, Serge Chavard and Jacques Demers, that still believed that we could come back. And it's the same thing with the... Canadians and the Leaf, nobody thought that Canadians could win game five, let alone the series. So I think mm-hmm. it's just they turned it on at the right time. I think the turning point in that series was uh, the giveaway by Galchenyuk at the blue line. And uh, I, I don't like to point out a player, but when you look at the series and, and why Galchenyuk has trouble getting established in the NHL, it's because of those risky plays that comes back and haunts him. And, and mm-hmm. that play across the blue line that was intercepted by Caulfield and they were down, they came down 2-0 on with Suzuki and they scored, turned the series around. And uh, you look at the way the Canadians are playing now, they won seven in a row. There are no risky plays. There are no flashy plays. It's all about grinding the team down and uh, waiting for their opportunities. They're very disciplined in their play very disciplined and not taking penalties and uh, feeding some good power plays in the north. I mean, Toronto had a good power play and Winnipeg a good power play, but they had two or three a game. So they were very well uh, very well coached. I thought uh, Desham is, is putting a game plan that's, uh, mm-hmm. that's excellent and great goaltending and top four defensemen that are logging 90% of the minutes. And uh, I said that before the series started. They they were giving a lot of ice time to Romanov and to Kutkenyemi and to the kids. But when it came down to playoff, Mark Bergman built that team with some veteran players that were going to play. And when Stahl got traded to Montreal, he had he was struggling. He could not he scored uh, in his first game. Then he didn't have a point for uh, I don't I think for the rest of the regular season and. Everybody thought that he shouldn't even play, but they put him in game one and uh, and put Kenyemi in the stands. They they put uh, Gustafsson on defense, put Romanov in the stands, and, and went with the veteran players and hoped that the experience would uh, would help the team. And they got some players that won the cup. They got Perry, who's playing great. They got Stahl, that's playing great. Toffoli, who's amazing, scored the overtime winner. Edmondson, all guys that won the cup and went through mm-hmm. some some adversity. And when it was 1-3, there was a meeting in that room of, and the veteran players uh, 
uh, you know, spoke about the fact that they weren't out yet. One win could turn the series around. That's exactly what happened. Uh, Vincent, I, I'm curious, you know, when you think back to that 93 run and, and, you know, very, you know, a lot of parallels, right? As you mentioned with the Leafs jumping out to that lead this year over the Canadians and, and you guys going down two nothing to a, a really good Quebec team. And, you know, what a, what a series that was. Was there a moment, you know, was it um, someone speaking in the room or was it a moment, you know, that sort of changed the feeling or at least allowed you to believe in that room that it was possible to come back and and, and short term to beat that Nordique team? Was there a moment that you remember as, as being sort of a defining moment in that series? Well, it was a defining moment for me because I scored the overtime winner in Game Three. But I was going to bring that up on the wraparound. I think, yes, yeah. it was. A, it was a kind of a spin, and I went back, and, uh, and it, 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 Extol made the save. It hit Busarov's skate and went back in. So, anyways, it was a kind of a fluky goal, but it it turned the series around for me because I didn't have a point in the first two games. I remember having a conversation with Jock Demers, and he said, "Vinny, we we need you. We need you to." come through, we need you to play better. And, and that was in the morning skate. And I felt that I needed to step up my game. So it could have gone either way in game three, just like in game five against Toronto, they, they could have yeah. finished it right there in overtime, but right. we got the break. We got the overtime win and that, and that started a uh, 10 win in a row overtime sequence, 11 games in a row that we won. Think about that. We won four games against Quebec in a row. Then we swept Buffalo in the second round. And we won the first three against the Islanders in the semifinals. So we won 11 games in a row before beating the Islanders in five and then winning in five against LA in the finals. But Montreal now has won seven games in a row, three of them in overtime. So when I talk about similarities, I mean, they're they're on a roll. And I, I wouldn't have a hard time uh, taking Vegas or Colorado in less than seven games again because I, I think that's going to be a very difficult challenge for Montreal, especially with Pitry being hurt. But mm-hmm. uh, I still believe that the Canadians will win some games, and uh, even against Vegas and Colorado, two of the best teams in the league. Yeah, and that series, that series is so huge right now. I mean, I I, I think the Stanley Cup is. I mean, I. Tampa might have a say in this, but yes. I feel like the Vegas Vegas Colorado is almost a mini Stanley Cup final. But we'll see. And and listen, the Habs will be huge underdogs. And the interesting thing, if we keep drawing parallels between '93 and today, that that's where the that's where the story changes a bit. And and I know you've told me over the years you would have loved to have had a chance to play Mario and the Penguins in '93. So it's not like you know, it's not like you're, you're happy with the way things play it out you were going to play any team you got but that would have been a great challenge and you know for for you and, and the rest of the team but I guess when I look at Colorado and Vegas I see a bit of a 93 penguin roster <laughs> so 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 you're not getting the you're not getting the 93 Islanders next for Montreal I guess would be the point I'm making well I, th- I think it would be you know I hope nobody takes away from our cup year because some of the best teams got kicked out and, and if and if Colorado wins or if Vegas win, I hope they're not going to say, well, you know what? Toronto wasn't in the in the semifinals. It's just the way it plays out. Every year, there's some surprises. It, it's, so for us, 
we, yeah, for sure, when Pittsburgh uh, got kicked out, uh, it, opened, it opened the door for us, uh, no question. And Pierre Turgeon for the Islanders got hurt. Uh, and, uh, you know, so there's some things that happens during the playoff that that changes things. And Tavares mm-hmm. getting hurt in, early in the series certainly hurt the chances for the Leafs, but that's just the way it goes in the playoffs. And uh, for Montreal, they don't have the luxury to lose one of their key guys. And when I talk about key guys, it's it's Price, it's the top four defense. Vitry now, I don't know how good he's going to be when he comes back with the crazy injury with in the in the hole of the camera there. It's crazy, but it happens. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have to, the other guys will have to step it up until he comes back and but they have a very, very strong uh, lineup across the board. Their young guys are playing amazing. Kanyemi came back. He played great. Uh, Caulfield, I'm so impressed by that kid, uh, the way he plays. He doesn't score. Everybody thinks he's just a scorer, but everything else that he does is uh, bang on. He's so uh, uh, responsible in his own. And that line with Defoli and Suzuki has been, has been great. Uh, the veteran line with Stahl. Armia, who's having great playoff, and Perry is doing a lot of damage. They're all big, they're all strong, they grind uh, things down in the, in the cycle down low. And so I think they got uh, their firing on all cylinders right now. And uh, it's going to be, uh, they're going to be huge underdogs, but I wouldn't be that surprised if they pull another upset. Vincent, I, I, I'm, I'm curious what, what you feel when you're, you know, sort of out and about and you're going to the studio and I know things are just slowly opening up in Quebec, but is there a way to describe, you know, the feeling in Montreal, the feeling in the province for, for what is happening here and maybe how important it is given all that we've, that we've all been going through for the last year and a half or so. But I wonder if you get a sense for what it's like in the community and if it's, if it's different than what you guys went through when you were living it in 93, for instance. Well, it's different. Uh, it is totally different. It is not not with the, the how the fans react to the Canadians being the semifinals because the city is going nuts. But what's different is the difference is is that it's been so hard for the past year. Everybody was kind of down and trying to get through this, and now there's some excitement, and I think it's great for the city. It's great for the restaurants that are opening up, the terrace, the bars. Everything is opening up this week. And as of Monday, it's going to be even more open. So I think it's going to be great for the businesses that have been struggling around the city and around the province because everybody is going to be watching the games, having a beer. And then I saw outside the Bell Center after the win, there was so many people outside. Like, I hope the government will, will open it, opening up the, the so for the fans to be more than just 2,500 in the building because I've been to Game 3 and Game 4 and at the Bell Center, and I've been to Costco as well. And there's a lot more people in Costco running around <laughs> with one bathroom than there is. No, but I'm serious. I don't understand. Like, why, right. why, why are we holding off on – there's like 10,000 people outside jumping up and down, but you could be more in a controlled environment inside the building with some uh, – I mean – has done a great job explaining uh, the, the protocol of how a game will take place and how uh, the fans will be safe. And I hope that when I see Vegas and they got a full building and the crowd's going nuts, I said, wow, 
I hope they can open it up a little bit so the fans in Montreal can enjoy and the team could feel that, you know, that what it is when you're in the semifinal of the playoff, the crowd going nuts. I hope they feel it at home, not just on the road. Right. Well, and it's a good segue to my last question for you, Vincent. And, uh, you know, I've talked to players over the years that have won Stanley Cups and, and, and you know, I've, I've had different answers from them over the years. There are some who will admit to me years later that they didn't grasp in that moment, even though they were so excited to win the Stanley Cup, that they cherish it even more looking back because it would end up being, you know, the moment in their careers. And I wonder, <laughs> looking back now, last Canadian team to win a cup, um, you know, you talked about the crowd. I still remember, you know, the crowd at the Montreal Forum in that final minute against LA in game five. And first of all, that building having one of its last moments, it would be replaced three years later. But do you, do you ever look back at that clip and remember what you felt in that moment? Oh, absolutely. I, I felt privileged to be in Montreal with my parents in the building and so many friends and My brother was there, my uncle. I was able to win in Montreal at the Forum and have everybody that was close to me inside the dressing room. So my first thought when we won mm. was to find them and to lift the cup in front of them because I knew where my seats were. So it's a privilege. Usually you win when you're not in your hometown playing or you win on the road and then then it's a right. whirlwind and you don't have time to really... Uh, share that with your close ones until a few days later. But I was able to live it in that moment. And I remember when my dad came in in the dressing room, I start jump, I jumped in his arm and I started crying because, because mm -hmm. all the emotions of, uh, of uh, everything that we live. And I was a kid with my brother and my dad uh, watering the backyard to get a, a rink in the backyard for us and uh, all the time and the energy that my parents put to get us to that moment, um, you know, I was so happy to share with them because it's you win the cup, not just for yourself, but for, for your whole family as well. So that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Vincent, I'm, cu I'm curious then, do, do you, where is, where is the ring and do you take it out? Are there moments like, what do you, what's, What do you do with your ring? What's tell me about tell me the story of your ring? Well, the ring is in the safe. I don't I don't wear it. I, I, I something that I obviously keep uh, a very secure place. But it does come out uh, once in a while when I represent the Canadians, and uh, sometimes I uh, uh, the play the, the the players in the room because we we uh, we get invited once a year, not this year, but. The, some of the alumni get invited in the dressing room to uh, for a lunch with the actual players every year. And Jeff Molson brings us in the room, presents the player, the, 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 the alumni to the actual players, and we, we share a lunch and we talk, and then we go on the ice and, and with the fans and get it set different tables. So it's a day that we we spend with the with the team. So they feel the history of the month. Canadians and when I go to that lunch I wear my ring that's when it comes out <laughs> just to show the guys you know that the expectation in Montreal are are different than from other teams and I felt it when I played during the cup run they were always showing Jean Beliveau on the cameras and ovation then there was uh, Maurice Richard then it was Henri Richard then it was Guy Lafleur so you felt the responsibility to, when you have that jersey on that 
you know, you gotta, you gotta show up and you gotta do your part to, to keep that tradition going. So I hope that uh, we were presented last game in the alumni box, which I thought was great. The first game in Montreal, they, they showed uh, Cournoyer, Lafleur, and Réjean Houle. And last yes. game on, on Monday, they showed uh, Mario Chamblay, Chris Nyland, Brice Bois, Carbonneau, and myself. And the players on the bench stood up and they started you know, I think they. I think it's great that the the team is doing that, mm-hmm. just to show the kids. Listen, there's other guys that came before you, and we're cheering for you guys. We want you guys to be successful. We want you guys to break that streak of Canadian teams not having success. And I, I really hope in the room that the the message is that listen, there, there's nobody left that are that are uh, superhuman. They're all they all can be beat. And that's a message I remember for us when we're 0-2 against Quebec. Is like enough talking about them. They're not like uh, they're not superhuman. That they they can be beat, and that's that's how we turn it around. We believe in ourselves and start worrying about other teams. And I hope that's what they're doing. They're full of confidence right now. They can beat anybody. I'm telling you. And and what a way to end it. And and ironically enough. The lessons of that painful first round loss for Joe Sakic and that young Nordiques team would uh, pay dividends a few years later as the Colorado Avalanche, of course, the Nordiques moving to Denver, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, Pierre, really, Pierre Lacroix's best trade, my ex agent, you know, <laughs> unfortunately uh, passed away, but uh, his yes. best trade was that one. Uh, Patrick Quan, Mike Keane, don't forget Mike Keane, what a player that he is in, in that trade and brought some leadership and, uh, some uh, great goaltender, uh, one of the best clutch player I ever played with. Well, there's a number 31 trying to make his best impression of Patrick Wall right now. That's for sure. Yes. <laughs> well, listen, Vincent, uh, je merci. C'est beaucoup de fun de t'entendre parler du Canadien. Thanks for your time. Uh, I know it's still lots of work ahead for you and everyone at RDS here and look forward to hearing that. And, uh, and thanks for taking some time with us. Anytime for you, Pierre. Okay, thanks, guys. Yes, thanks, Vincent. All right, take care. Uh, good call by you, Pierre, to have uh, Vincent Danfus join us. That was great. That story about him looking for his dad in the stands in 93 and then seeing him in the dressing room and, and breaking down, wow, that's that's great stuff. That's, uh, you know, every player who wins a cup, you know, regardless of your nationality and your background, that's the unifying moment for any player who wins the cup is looking for, for their parents and and what their parents did for that player to get to where I, I've seen that. You and I have been allowed to be on the ice when yes. the team wins the cup over the last 15 years or so. And and to see the interaction between the player and their families in that moment is is surreal. I mean, that's always been the best moment of the year. And to, to have done it in his hometown, as he described, at the Montreal Forum, just, I mean, that's that's pretty unbelievable feeling. And it's interesting to hear him talk about this year's halves. And, yeah, they're going to be crazy underdogs in the next series. But, woo, it gave you uh, <laughs> talking about their journey in 93, right? Yes. Very interesting. Yes. I, yeah, I can't wait. And and certainly when you and I chat next week, we'll be, we'll be into it. Um, but, yeah, I, I think if we've learned anything from watching this Hab team through the first two rounds is, is to stop underestimating them. And um, it, it, it's going to be great drama and great theater. And I'm with Vincent. I, ho- I hope, you know, I hope things continue to go well in Quebec and, and certainly across Canada where, um, you know, maybe 
maybe this becomes a moment uh, where the the entire province, the entire community can share in this in a way that they haven't been able to really until this point. So hopefully that happens. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. my friend got a bunch of nice questions here for the dorks you and i i kind of like that I, again i keep wishing somebody should be sponsoring this segment alone but anyway what about <laughs> it um I, I, this one comes from uh, lucas hibbs um and, and you and i've talked about this a little bit but uh, he, uh, the question is wondering whether you think anything will come at the end of this playoff run and specifically the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning run um, and whether the NHL will take a look at cap rules and uh, I assume they're referring to the use of LTIR and players, uh, you know, sort of being sheltered or or immune to the cap uh, while they're recovering from injury like uh, Nikita Kucherov, certainly Steven Stamkos was uh, absent uh, during the the latter stages of the regular season for the lightning uh do you think there'll be any changes to that or or do you think this is this is how the system is designed to work yeah so lucas should go back and 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 if he feels like it uh give a read to the column i wrote about this one week into the playoffs because i knew this was going to become a huge story so i really went deep on the whole kucherov issue i quote bill daly in it i quote stan bowman yes because stan bowman went through this uh, with uh Patrick Kane in 2015, um, and, and and also you know I, I outlined the fact that while there were other GMs who didn't want to be quoted, that there are some who want to bring this up at a future GM right. meetings again. That, that, that they're not quite sure that that the system is working the way it should in, in this vein. And um, so the answer is yeah, that I think some GMs will want to talk about this again. It's not just Tampa. I mean the Leafs got some scrutiny as to how they massaged the trade deadline and LTIR. Uh, you know, even to some degree, Montreal with Brendan Gallagher, uh, you know, coming back just in time for the playoffs, right? And, and his injury allowing them to go out and get, you know, Gustafsson and, and John Merrill at the deadline, etc. So the whole LTI thing is, 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 I think there's a couple of GMs that have told me they'd like to get it on the agenda yet again. But if you look at the quote from Bill Daly in that piece, I mean, he goes to great length to say that they are satisfied after investigating the whole thing that that Tampa did no wrong. And I guess some people just don't, don't want to let it go. That's a good point. I, I, you know, again, I think it, I mean, the, the system is, I mean, it's not a surprise to anyone, right? The system is what it is. And, and if, you know, the, the league does take, um, you know, pays close attention. They scrutinize where players are at in, in, in terms of their rehabilitation. And I think that's what you have to, you have to trust that that's what's, that's what's happening. So, 
Right, and, and I think the big thing to retain here is that it's not cut and dried. Like, you know, could Kucherov or Gallagher or, in fact, Freddie Anderson did play before the end of yes. the regular season for the Leafs, which is even more, in some ways, mystifying because I don't exactly know how that worked cap wise. But, you know, could Gallagher and Kucherov have been ready to play a game or two for the regular season? I bet you the answer is yes. But in that particular instance, I think the league has some leeway for teams. Like, if we're talking a week, I think the league is like, you know what, especially given that this particular regular season got extended because of all the COVID cancellations. So in other words, when Tampa put Kucherov on LTI at the start of the season, they had a certain projection for his potential return and and the start of the playoffs shifted time-wise. So it's a bit of a weird year that way, I think. And, And... but again, uh, I, I do know that there are some GMs who want to talk about this. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. Uh, this one is an interesting one from Michael O'Brien. If offered the chance, how many NHL teams do you think would switch places with Seattle and build a roster from scratch through the expansion draft? It's interesting. And I assume it's a, it, it certainly is a fair question when you see what has happened to Vegas in the very short time uh, since their expansion draft in 2017. But do you think there would be teams, if you had the chance, would, are, are there teams that would say, yeah, count me in, I, I, I would go for that? Yeah, I think actually there would be, believe it or not. Um, you know, I, I think in a flat cap environment world, especially where it's so difficult to move money, that if you're a team that's that's deciding to rebuild here soon, let's say, and but you've got a couple of contracts that are going to be almost impossible to move, you'd rather be Seattle than than be in your situation. Yeah, right for sure. Um, so from the flat cap perspective, I think it's especially accurate. But at the end of the day. Uh, you know, what will interest me is, and that's why there's so much pressure on Vegas to win right now, but I don't know how you feel about this, Scott, but their window to win, I don't think is as long as people realize, in my mind. Now, they've made so many great moves from the outset, maybe they can stick handle their way around all this, but they're not a young team. Like, that's the interesting thing about yeah. this. They, they, they're going for it. It's what Bill Foley wants, and that's, and that's tremendous, I mean, is there a better building atmosphere right now than, than Vegas? But if they, if they don't win a cup in the next two or three years, I think it gets interesting in a hurry. Well, and, and certainly the advantages that they've enjoyed as an expansion team, not having to pay the fee and also not having to expose a player in the Seattle draft. I mean, these are, the, you know, again, this is all benefits to a team that, you know, charge right out of the gate you know from their very you know first moments of existence and well yeah. well they, they paid five five hundred million to get in let's oh yeah it. no well <laughs> but the, but and again but they also paid 150 million less than seattle was paying to get in to the same sure. club so yeah no i i'm with you and and i i you know what i know you talked to bill foley um you know a few months ago and and i've spent a, a fair amount of time with bill over you know since this really became a possibility and I, you know mm-hmm. I, I just love the the enormous passion he has to 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 go all in right like this is there's this is not a cautious kind of process for them i mean they have they've gone right after it and and the fans have responded to that i i, I think it's been tremendous there and you're right and and and, and there's no greater i i think the greatest example of what their constant vision has been from the outset it may may present itself in a perfect way in a perfect way next round if they beat colorado and they play montreal is a trade that has truly benefited two franchises quite 
in, in many ways. Max Pacioretty has been yes. amazing from the day he got to Vegas. It continues to be amazing. But how can you not love this trade if you're the Montreal Canadiens? Nick Suzuki, you have a star center now for the next how many years? Thomas Sitar gave you great service. Now he's fallen out of favor, but he had a bunch of 20 goal years for them, right? As as a throw-in to that trade. And the, the, the extra draft pick that's in that trade um, ended up being two draft picks, and it's a four-asset haul in the end for Montreal, for Max Pacioretty. You know, I think that's a trade that that has been tremendous for both franchises, which which is very interesting heading into a potential playoff series between the two teams if, if uh, you know, if Colorado doesn't come back. Good point. All right, let's finish up with this one. Um, and then I yeah. should mention that Matthias Norlander is one of the young defensemen they recently... Uh, 21-year-old Swedish defenseman who, who has a bit of promise to him. So he, he's he's another player from that trade. Battle. Look at you talking about prospects. That's not really. Well, it's not it's really. Rare. Your, That's I, rare. I was just going to say it's I not know. in your wheelhouse. In fact, I have I'm avoiding a question about Luke Hughes uh, and where he might go in the draft, <laughs> just because I, it's not really. I'm not a draft guru. That is, uh, that's Corey Promen, yes, uh, exactly. Bob McKenzie, Craig Button, Scott Wheeler territory. Yeah. Okay. There, there, there's a reason people specifically do that for a living. All right. Well, that that question about Luke Hughes was coming from John Benkart. So I, that it, would be neat that the Devils end well, up Well, so, yeah, let me ask it this way. Uh, he wondered the likelihood of the Devils taking Luke Hughes at, at number three so he can develop and eventually play with Jack. But I, I will modify it. Uh, which Where would be a better fit for Luke Hughes, do you think? Jersey to play with Jack or in Vancouver to play with Quinn. I, I I think it's I think the teams there should be an agreement. He's got to go to one of those two teams, right? It's got to be the brothers situation. <laughs> it's going to be like when Brian Burke was GM of Vancouver <laughs> yes. and orchestrated the draft to get both Sedin twins. <laughs> Either the Devils or the Canucks have to make sure that they end up with, uh, with Luke yeah, Hughes. I agree. Exactly. That'd be awesome. All right. Um, but but you know I will say about this draft. I mean even though. I don't do deep dives on it like like some of the people I mentioned. It, I think there's a lot of. I was talking to uh, you know a bunch of GMs for the piece that I did on Mark Bergevin uh, uh, that, that was published today, but a lot of them would was were calling after hours and hours and hours of being on Zoom calls this week um, talking to prospects. Yes, yes. Like the it, it, it's never taken on more. I mean, there's no combine. A lot of these players barely played depending on where they, where they play. Yeah. These calls are super important to prep for this draft. There's so much uncertainty uh, with this draft this year. Yeah. No, it's, uh, yes. And, and it's, you know, it's going to be another remote draft. And, uh, and remember when we had Bill Daly on not too long ago, I mean, he promised the second day would be faster than the one last October. But yes, it, 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 it has challenged everyone within the machinery of the NHL and of course uh, the prospects themselves and their families and their agents but uh, yes it, it, it will be fascinating you know just how the team sort through what will be a completely unique situation in, in making those picks uh, alright let me finish the, this will be the last question and this uh, comes from Steve Hasis what he's, his question is about the cost of acquisition of Seth Jones and I want to. I just want to sort of expand it a bit because, I, it, to me, this is going to be such. A, it, it, I'll ask it uh, as a question to you, but it, to me, he is one of those domino players that will affect a lot of things around the NHL. That Seth Jones, what happens to Seth Jones, will impact 
a lot of different things and whether it's vis-a-vis free agency or how teams are built or players are looking after it, do you think he is that kind of figure and the understanding being that the Columbus Blue Jackets will do their very best to move him before the uh, obviously before the start of next season when well I think they have to move yeah. like I like I don't know how the trade gets better if you wait till the trade deadline when he's a pending UFA right. with a few months left like I think you you know because you lost Panarin and Bobrovsky, you know, losing Bobrovsky now doesn't look like as much of a loss. I understand that. But Panarin was huge. You know, you're kind of forced into a Josh Anderson trade, which hasn't worked out great. And again, we had Yarmo Kekalinen on our podcast. He's a tremendous guy. You know, sometimes you get put in a corner in some of these things, right? And and, uh, and certainly lining for Dubois, who knows? Both of those guys had bad years. Um, I think you have to trade Seth Jones because you need a return. And, and and so what you do, of course, is, I think, is that you're obviously the team that's trading for him gets to sign him because then you maximize your return. Yeah. Um, and then you go from there. And, and listen, it'll be easier to name the teams that don't call than the teams that will call. So you're going to see all kinds of teams linked to him over the coming weeks. But, but a team that makes so much sense to me, and I mentioned this in my Flyers column, uh, Last month when I interviewed Chuck Fletcher after the Flyers season ended, Seth Jones makes so much sense for Philly. The hole on the right side and the fact that the Flyers have realistic pieces that can work now for Columbus right. as opposed to a total futures deal, right? And so listen, other teams are going to try something similar for sure, but that's certainly a team I would keep an eye yeah. on. If you're Yarmo Kekalina, do you have to start with a with a top center or someone who can fill that? You know, it's been a, an ongoing you know, void within the organization. I mean, is that, or, or, or can you narrow it down that much if you're Yarmo Kekalane? Like, is it, if you have, maybe there are two or three NHL ready pieces, does it need to be a center or do you, can you narrow it down if you're Yarmo, do you think? I think it really depends on each team's, you know, I, I don't like, I, I don't like when teams approach a trade like this by saying, here's the specific, you know, yeah. Has, to, has be this. to be this guy. It may be that another team's best offer has a different position attached to it. And by the way, if there's a young defenseman attached to it, that's probably a need now. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so who knows? I mean, yes, number one center is the number one thing for Columbus, but there may be other ways to to get full value here. Would be my uh, um, would be my answer. And by the way, before we go here, we really need to wrap up uh, the NHL just as we finish taping, uh, announcing the Norris Trophy finalists. And the top, the three names were the top three on my ballot. So there you go. Well, th- it doesn't always happen that way. Don't keep, don't keep us <laughs> but, in suspense. Uh, what, what? Vic, Victor Hedman, Adam Fox, and Kale McCarr were the three finalists for the Norris. And, and not, I won't tell you in which order, but those were the three names in my top three among the five names that I had on my well, and I don't mind, and I, you know, I'm a, I complete. Well, they're, they're, we're always transparent because the votes will be uh, will be revealed at a later date. But uh, my number one guy, not even in the finalists, I had Charlie McAvoy at number one. So there you go. Ooh, that's off the board. I, I don't think you. off the board. I mean, it just a uh, no. He had a great yeah. year, but I mean, I don't think. Yeah, you saw him being pushed as hard as other guys yeah. is what I'm saying. Uh, and you're right. We do have to wrap up. Uh, other podcast information, the Athletic Hockey Show expanded to five days a week. That's uh, that's a lot of podcasts. You should be getting in on all of that. Monday with Ian Mendez and Haley Salvian 
Tuesday with Craig Custance and Sean Gentilly, All-American all the time. I can uh, give them a little plug there. Uh, the two-man advantage, of course, you and I on Wednesdays, Thursday, Ian Mendez and down goes Brown, Sean McIndoe. Great stuff there. And Friday, the new Prospect Series with Max Boltman and Corey Pronman, as you just mentioned earlier, Pierre Corey at the top of his game at this time of the year. And you should check out our comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app and rate and subscribe to The Athletic Hockey Show on Apple. If you aren't already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash hockey show and receive a subscription for $3.99 a month. Great work by you, my friend. Right on, right on.